How do you see the world? What's your worldview? Do you see the world as, as Jesus sees it? It says, I see it Jesus' way. I see the world in love. I see the world in freedom. And yet as we get into uh, the Word of God, we find that so often, uh, rather than seeing things as God sees them or as God desires, we tend to see them through our own lens and our own view, and we miss out on what God has for us. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 15. If you do not have a Bible and you would like to follow along this morning, I think it's important that you have one. So raise your hand, and David will make sure that you get one uh, so that you can follow along. Um, I uh, just We're going to be finishing up this study on the lost things. Lost things. We've been looking at it, and I want to just start with... Uh, First couple of verses, because they set the tone for the entire chapter. We've talked about the lost lamb and the lost coin and the lost boy, and we're going to look at the self-righteous son this morning. But it says in verse chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble. They were incensed. They were disappointed in Jesus because he was spending time with these other people. They'd invite him over and he'd go there for a meal or some social gathering. And it says here, this man, he receives these sinners and he eats with them. And really this whole chapter is kind of written for those Pharisees and for those scribes who were so self-righteous that they couldn't understand how Jesus could spend time with these individuals, these people, these sinners, these prostitutes, these scammers, uh, these identity thieves, whatever we would have today that might relate to what was back then. How could Jesus spend time with those people? And uh, they were taken back by that. And you remember that Jesus started out by telling them some stories. Uh, they're what we call parables. They are uh, a parable means to come alongside. It's cast alongside. So the story gives a pertinent truth that Jesus wanted to get across. And you remember the first one was about the lamb. And he was lost on the hillside. And it was out of ignorance, really, if we look at... Uh, what Jesus was saying because later on he said one lost sinner uh, brings about rejoicing in heaven. I mean, they really get excited over one person that comes to know Jesus Christ in heaven. And uh, the Pharisees would understand that because, you see, this was a material possession. And they were businessmen and money was important to them. And to lose one lamb would be costly. And so they would understand that. That was okay. They probably didn't understand how it related to the sinners as much. But, you know, it was okay that he did that. The second one was the story of the coin. And, and the coin was lost probably out of neglect. Somehow the woman hadn't taken care of her uh, circlet of coins from her wedding. And maybe a thread had broken and the coin had dropped onto the ground. And uh, it was there in the house and she had to look around in the house. But you remember it was kind of lost due to neglect. And... Uh, Pharisees probably wouldn't get too uptight about that when they rejoiced over the finding of the coin because, again, it was a thing. It was material possessions. Those things were important. And then Jesus went on, and we talked about it last week, of 
the idea of the lost son. And this is what people think about when they think about this parable. It's the prodigal son, the one who was rebellious, who was dishonoring unto his father, took what his father had given him and ran off and wasted it all, it says. He spent it all in frivolous living until he was totally broke and he came back to his father and his father rejoiced when he saw his son. He didn't go out and, you know... Rip him up one side and down the other, and what a terrible young man he was, and how he disgraced the family. That wasn't the issue. He went out and he said, My son has come home. And he put the coat on him that demonstrated the fact that he was part of the family, and he put the ring on him which showed his authority, and he put sandals on his feet because those were an evidence that he was not a slave. The boy came home and he says, I'll be your servant. That was his whole intent. I'll, I'll, I'll come and serve you because out here I've lost everything, Dad. And I've lost not only all my financial stuff, but I've lost my self-respect. And I really don't deserve to be your son. And I would imagine that was kind of how the Pharisees were feeling. They were probably going, that's right. Dad, you go out and you give it to him. He, was, he doesn't deserve to be your son. He shouldn't have been doing those things. And yet the father went out and accepted him. Well, we come on to this last part of the chapter, and it's one that, as I've gone through this passage before, I haven't always focused on the older son. I haven't necessarily always focused on the response of the father to the older son, but the older son really, in many ways, represents the Pharisees. He represents those scribes, the self-righteous individuals who see themselves as better than others, Better than his younger brother who has frivolously gone and spent everything while the older brother was home working hard to make sure the farm paid. Let me begin by reading verse 25. It says, now this older brother was in the field. And when he approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what things they could be, the, what things these could be or what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come home. Your father has killed the fattened calf, and because he has received him back and safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out, and he began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I have been serving you. Never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you've always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this, this brother of yours was dead, and he's begun to live, and he was lost, and he's been found. You know, it's, it's a real contrast here. In, in all of the other parables, there's a contrast between the one who was lost and the one who found that one, and the same thing's true here. Uh, There was a contrast between the father and the son who had run off. And we looked at that last week and how the father went out to meet him and he found him where he was and he 
embraced him in spite of the fact that he probably smelled like a pigsty. And he brought him home and he dressed him and cleaned him and they had a celebration for him. Well, today we have a contrast between the older brother and the father. And, uh, you know, I would say this older brother probably represents the Pharisees and in some ways he may represent uh, a lot of church people today because it's very easy to become rather self-righteous about who we are and how good we are and how we do the right things. And somebody else isn't quite as good as we are, and that feeling can be there. Young man would have looked at his brother who had run off, and, <laughs> and he'd stayed home, and he'd worked so diligently and so hard, and he had it together, and I'm sure people in the town were saying, oh, to his father, you're so lucky to have such a wonderful young son that he stayed and he's worked so hard and he's got it all together. And uh, they probably told him what a great son he was. And I think he probably was. Uh, It says he never disobeyed his father. He never dishonored his father. There was work to be done. He went out and did it. But it's easy when you're that kind of person to begin to look at other people who aren't doing what you're doing or they're not as busy or as productive as you are and see them as a little bit less. Maybe they're not quite as good as we are. I I think of the story of Mary and Martha. Actually, Martha and Mary. And you'll remember the story how Jesus went to the home there in Bethany. And Mary or Martha was preparing a dinner for him and for the disciples, those who were with him. and, And she was busy in the kitchen. It says she was consumed with her duties and the work that she was doing, basically. And her sister Mary, her younger sister, was sitting at the feet of Jesus, taking it all in. And Martha was in there just kind of steaming because she was cooking and she was working over the hot stove and Mary wasn't helping. She wasn't even setting the table. She wasn't doing anything she should be doing. She was sitting in there listening to Jesus. And Martha went into Jesus and he says, can you believe she said, basically, I'm going to paraphrase, but here's my sister and she's not helping and Jesus, tell her to get in there and help me. You remember what Jesus did? She pulled a Brady family. He pulled a Brady family. Martha, Martha, Martha. You're so consumed with all the wrong things. Mary's chosen the better thing. Martha, throw a couple of hot dogs on. That's enough. Come and sit and be with us. The relationship was what was important. And Martha had missed that because she was rather self-righteous about all the work that she was doing. Well, I think that's kind of how it was with this younger brother. Let's begin with verse 25. It says, Now his older brother was in the field. And it's interesting that Jesus has his older brother out working. Uh, He's busy doing the work that needs to be done if this farm is to pay off. And he was accomplishing the things that he should be doing. His brother was in the field, and when he came in and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And what was this about? He didn't know they were having a celebration. He didn't know they were having a party. <laughs> Dad had gone out and gotten the best band in the area, and they were, they were having a wonderful time. And he summoned one of the servants in verse 26, and he began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come home. 
your brother's come home and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Your brother and your dad is so excited. And you would think that this, this boy would be, or young man would be excited too. My brother's back. But listen to what it says in verse 28. But he became angry. And he wasn't willing to go in. And his father came out and he began pleading with him. Really, a, an attitude of immaturity began to sulk. He was angry. I'm not going to go in there. I'm not happy with that. I would imagine maybe there was sibling rivalry that was there before the boy left. It was built up even greater. He probably thought about his brother out there having a good time in a far country, and he wasn't, and he was home doing all the work. How could this be? It goes down to verse 29, and you notice the complaints. Verse 29, he says, he answered to his father, and he says, Look, for so many years I have been serving you. The word serving actually means acting as a slave. I've never neglected a command. I've never been disobedient to you. Yet you've never even given me a young goat. Here you're giving him our fattened calf. We've been saving it for a special time and a special occasion And you've never given me anything, not even a young goat, so that I might celebrate with my friends. I've never disobeyed you. I've never given you any problems. Dad, you've never even given me a a goat so I can have a party with my friends. All he could think about was him. Do you notice that? It was all about him. It wasn't about his father. It wasn't about his brother. It was all about him. Very self-centered, very self-righteous. Get the attitude in verse 30. said, and when this son of yours, I, I, I like that. He doesn't say when my brother came home. It said, this son of yours came, who has devoured, who has eaten up your wealth. He forgot that his father had given him that wealth. It was his livelihood. It was what he had. It was what was going to be his He says he's devoured it with prostitutes. And you killed the fattened calf. You have celebrated what he's been doing. You killed the fattened calf for him. You know, there's nowhere in in the passage before that said that he wasted the money on prostitutes. It says he did waste it on sordid living. That he was wasteful in what he did, but, I, you know, I don't know, maybe the brother had had some spies go out and they'd come back and said, you wouldn't believe what your brother's doing. On the other hand, maybe this is what he would have done. And he just assumed that's what his brother was doing. He was angry, he was bitter, and he didn't take him as his brother. He said, he's your son. And there's this expression of of bitterness. Let me ask you a question. If you'd been that brother, and your younger brother, instead of staying home and working on the farm and making things work, left you to do it all. He went out and blew everything that he had, a third of his father's 
livelihood, his goods. How would you have responded if you were the older son? You know, it's, it's easy to condemn him for his actions and his attitude because he was angry, he was bitter, he was pouting, he wouldn't go in, he wasn't going to be a part. But in no way was he rejoicing as his father was. Rejoicing that his brother had come home. Let me look a little deeper. Let me just give you three things. I think number one, when I look at this older brother, uh, he probably probably felt uh, a little bit like he'd been treated unfairly, don't you think? That he should have been treated better than that. He should have had at least a goat to have a party with his friends and his dad took him for granted. He would just go out and he would work in the fields and he would do the job and dad never had to worry about him. He was always there. And yet his brother comes home after the life he's been living and after the way he squandered the money and, and he throws a party for him. I, I, I have a feeling that I may have felt a little bit like I had been treated unfairly that my dad really hadn't treated me the way he should have treated me. Just not fair. There was probably some wounded pride there. He wanted to just walk away. He wasn't going to be part. Very self-centered. It's kind of like the little kid that goes down to the park with his football and the older boys come along and say, yeah, we want to play football with you. And the little boy gets in there, good, I'm going to play with the older. I'll be the quarterback. No, you're going to stand over here while we throw the ball. And pretty soon the little boy takes his football and says, if you're not going to play my way, I'm going to take my ball and go home. I think that's a little bit the attitude of this older son. Uh, a little bit of anger and jealousy. I think another thing about him was that because of the fact that he'd stayed around, he probably had a little bit of a inflated view of who he was. I've, I've worked for you. I've served you. I've slaved for you all of these years. I, I, I've done everything you ask. And I'll tell you what, I'll die, I kind of doubt that. <laughs> Anytime anybody uses, I do it all. I do everything. You never do anything. Those are those all-inclusive words. You know them? Yeah, we use them when we get in arguments with each other. And they're very destructive. They're not true because as nevers and always just aren't true. There are times when we don't quite make up for what we're doing. But, you know, I looked at this boy, and, and he wasn't really a boy. He was a young man. He was probably in his 20s. But he was not thinking about his younger brother. He seemed to uh, look at himself and think that he was pretty good. He had that inflated view. Um, and I think he probably, when he was looking at this, forgot all the blessings that were his by being there at home. We do that when things aren't going our way. We forget our blessings. As Christians, we oftentimes forget our blessings. God didn't answer my prayer. He didn't give me what I wanted. He didn't do it the way I thought he should. This young man probably forgot that. He had a wonderful home to live in. 
He was respected in the community. If he had friends he could have had a party with, he had companionship. His brother was out there in the pig pen with no companions. Once the money was gone, nobody wanted to be with him anymore. He had nice clothes. His brother's clothes smelled like pigs. He, uh, food. He had it all. And you know, on top of that, his father had already told him that everything I have is going to be yours. What you're working for today, that's going to be yours. Because everything that's left is your inheritance. Your brother gets none of it. And sometimes when we get jealous and angry and bitter and we have this inflated self-image and we forget the blessings. We forget what God has given to us and, and the blessings that are ours. And then finally, as, as I look at him, note the, uh, where the blame went with him and the contempt. I, I really think he probably blamed his father for his brother. He, he didn't say he was my brother. He says he's your son. And I would imagine he was thinking, if you just wouldn't have given him the inheritance, he wouldn't have taken it out and blown it. You could have kept him home. You could have made him work on the farm. You could have told him he couldn't go. You didn't do a very good job as dad. And you know, I've heard kids say that. When their brothers and sisters don't turn out exactly like they think they should, they sometimes blame mom and dad. It's their fault. Instead of taking responsibility. There really wasn't any love for his brother either. A lot of contempt from what I saw there. So there was really no love for either his father or his brother in the way he was responded. And That's how we tend to do it sometimes as humans though, isn't it? We have a problem in our life. Things aren't exactly right and we blame somebody else. We blame the other person. We don't like to take responsibility for our own lives it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, and you've heard this before possibly, but there they were. God told them, you can't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's right there in the garden. Don't eat of it. It's the only tree. It's the only negative. Have you ever noticed your children when they're toddlers and you tell them not to do something? Don't touch that. What do they do? Go immediately to touch it. You know, the hand goes out. And not only does it go out, they look at you and smile and dare you to do something about it. And let me tell you, folks, you better do something about it or you'll lose it later. But there they are. And they're getting ready to do that. And uh, this young man, I think, was blaming them. And so here's Adam and Eve, and they're out there in the garden, and the serpent's there in the tree. And he said to Eve, did God tell you not to eat of this fruit? And she said, oh, yeah. If we eat of that, we will surely die. And he said, you won't die. God's not that kind of God. He wouldn't do that to you. He loves you. Doesn't it look good? We're not to touch it. Oh, did he really say that? Well, he hadn't. We add things oftentimes to God's commands. And so she took it down and she ate it. And this is good stuff. She gave it to Adam. She said, Adam, you got to try this. Adam probably stood back and watched her to see if she had died. He'd never seen anybody die. He was going to see what happened to Eve, and nothing happened to Eve. Adam took it, and he ate it. And all of a sudden, it said they knew the difference between good and evil. They saw their nakedness. They went and hid. They covered themselves. 
when God came down to walk in the garden with them, you remember that they hid at first and God called them out and they came out and he said, what's the problem? Did you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, yeah, yeah. Eve, why'd you do it? Well, the serpent made me do it. See, it wasn't, it wasn't Eve that was the problem. It was the serpent. Do you ever do that? Blame somebody else when you know that you haven't done right? Yeah, people do that. Uh, we have police officers here. I'm sure you hear people all the time blaming somebody else for what goes on. Turn to Adam. Adam, why did you eat of the tree? And do you remember what Adam said? This woman that you gave me caused me to eat of the tree. It was a woman, Lord. And in reality, you brought me the woman. Therefore, it's your fault that I sinned. Here's a young man looking at his dad. And he's looking at his brother. And he says to his dad, it's your fault. It's your fault. There was an arrogance. There was a self-righteousness there that this young man had. And so we look at how the father responded. Verse 31 And he said to him, Dad said, Son, I want you to look at this. You've always been with me. We've always been together. And all that is mine is yours. I think it's interesting that the son was outside He didn't go in to find his father. His father came out to plead with him. Do you know that God comes looking for us? We so often think that we find God, but he comes looking for us. The boy was on the road home, the one who was a prodigal, and the father ran out to meet him, and now his brother's outside and won't come into the celebration, and the father goes out to meet him. And constantly, the one who draws us in, is the one who is seeking us, who loves us. And he loved his son that much that he went out to him and he told him he'd come in, he, he, he asked him to, and I just want you to see something. Because Jesus was speaking to those Pharisees, those self-righteous Pharisees, and he says, I want you to know just as much as God loves the prodigal son, he loves the self-righteous as well. Do we understand how much he loves the self-righteous? Both sons were very different, but both of them needed their father's love. You have children, some of you, and your children may be very, very different. But they need to know that you love both of them. My two brothers and I, we're very different in how we've done things and the way we respond to things and the way we act. But I'll tell you what, mom and dad loved us all three. Uh, Every one of us thought there was a favorite, and it wasn't us. It was the other guy. But I look back, and I realize that the love was shared for each of us. Father came out and found his angry, bitter, judgmental son. And I think it's here we really see the father's love. As he was speaking to the Pharisees, I'm sure they were probably getting the picture of who they were. Because they missed out on what God had for them. They were so judgmental of the others, the sinners, and 
the tax collectors, that they were missing the love of God. And the father came to his son. He didn't scold him. He didn't berate him. He didn't tell him how terrible he was to be out there. He didn't talk to him about how self-centered he was. He said, yes, I gave a, a calf for the celebration of your brother. And you know what, son? If you wanted a goat, how minor. I would have given it to you, but you never asked. The Bible says in the book of James that one reason we don't some experience a lot of the blessings that God has for us is because we simply don't ask. We fail to pray. We fail to be in contact with God and say, here, this is what I need or this is what I'd like or this is what I desire. And certainly I believe if the father gave a third of all of his wealth to his younger son, he would have given a calf to his oldest son who stayed home and worked so hard. But he never asked. Do we miss the blessings of God? Sometimes we miss them because we simply never ask. We never really try to do it the way God would have us to, and we simply take for granted what we do have. This son was lost just as much as his prodigal brother. And sometimes that's where we find ourselves. We may not be the prodigal, but we may very well be the self-righteous brother. And we become angry and bitter because everybody isn't doing it the way we want them to. Your brother was lost, but now he's found. Listen to verse 32. But we had to celebrate. We had to rejoice. For this brother of yours was dead. And he's begun to live. He was lost. And he's been found. I want you to notice something. How does the story end? It doesn't tell us. Do you like those books when they come to the end and they don't have an ending? They leave it for you. We don't know if the brother went in or if he stayed out. We don't know if he remained angry or whether he forgave his brother. We don't know if he reconciled with the father or he didn't. I think of the Pharisees, and the majority of them never reconciled with their heavenly father. They never reconciled with Jesus. There were a few that did, people like Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, who, when Jesus was crucified, went and took him down from the cross and buried him in their own tomb. But the majority never did because they were too caught up with how good they were. And you see, if we want our relationship to be right with God, it's realizing that we have a Father that comes seeking for us, a Father that loves us whether we have sinned or whether we have been sinning as self-righteous individuals, if we have been judgmental, if we've been critical, if we're negative, if we don't see others as quite as good as us. Sometimes people walk into a church and they have a hard time fitting in because there's this little group over here or here or here, and they're all friends, and, and this person coming in doesn't seem to fit the mold. And we need to realize that no matter what the background is or where they've come from, God loves them. And he wants us, us, wants us as his children to reach out and love them too. It doesn't matter whether they're of the sinful bent or what the self-righteous would say about themselves as the righteous 
though they too are just as lost as the prodigal son. Story's not over. Story's not over for you, and it's not over for me. We have to ask ourselves, where do I fit? What is my relationship? What do I need to change in order to see that relationship made right if it's not? Very easy to say, wow, I'm doing all the work around here. Nobody else is working. Nobody else is serving. Why am I the only one doing it? And we judge everybody else because they're not quite as good. Or it's very easy to say, I don't I don't want to do that. I'm going to do my own thing. I've got my thing going on, and that's it. And we're kind of like that prodigal son that just didn't help out. Where do we fit? Ask yourself that today. Where am I in this story? Let's pray. Father, the hard one. I, I hope that we find ourselves somewhere in the middle in right relationship with you. That we would go in if a lost brother was made whole, and we would celebrate, that we would rejoice, even though we haven't had the party to have it for somebody else who's returned, would be so special. I would hope that's where we would be. And Father, if on the other hand, we are that individual who has taken the blessings that you have given and ignored them and gone off and wasted our lives living as the world does instead of living for you, Father, forgive us for that as well. There are times, Father, I can put my place in in the place of either one of these boys, these men, these young men. Times when I have taken for granted what you've given me and wasted what you've given me at other times when I've looked at myself and said, why don't other people come along? Why aren't they doing what I'm doing? Why do I have to do all of this? And Neither one's right. So help us, Father, to see that which is right. Help us to be where you want us to be and to be used by you to accomplish your will. Thank you, Father, for loving us so much that you came to get us. You were the Father. You were the shepherd. You are the shepherd. You are the woman with the coin. You came looking for us. And I just want to thank you for that this morning. I pray for each person here that truly they would find their fulfillment and their joy in you and you alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.